this spot inside them that needs to be filled. And so they're looking constantly for something to, to fill that. And uh, it's only God that can fill it. And so it may be a lifetime that they go if somebody doesn't give them a clue, does, doesn't teach them. Thankfully for each of us, there's been somebody at some point that said, you know, this is what this is about. This is what you're struggling with. This is what you're looking for. And you can find it in God. Uh, and this empty place can be filled by him. main passage that we looked at last week was in, first, in Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah 6, we hear Isaiah talk about how he was called as a prophet by um, a passage because we really didn't get that far into it. We did a couple things that we saw about worship, but we'll see a couple more today. In Isaiah 6 uh, is where we're going to be going, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there, and uh, let's be ready to go into the Word of God together. Let's, let's pray, first of all. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use these moments uh, when we look to your Word together to help us see things that we have not yet known, uh, not yet discovered, not yet understood, or, or maybe not yet appreciated. And I pray that uh, each of us would, would make sure our heart is open to your spirit right now, and that he would teach us, he would guide us into the truth today, and that he would help uh, me and, and my friends here at New Hope to, to understand your ways, and uh, to grow in worship, in our ability, our our capability to bring you praise and honor today. This is what we'll do the rest of our lives. On into eternity, we will worship you. We need to know what we're doing. And we need to to bring you the praise you deserve, Lord. Bless us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Isaiah 6, the prophet is describing... How he went into the very throne room of God. Now, was this physically? Was it uh, in a vision? We're not sure, but he just says, you know, all of a sudden I'm in the throne of God. And I, I see God. And he's given the privilege of seeing Almighty God sitting on his throne in heaven, attended by angels and by at least two awesome, fantastic beasts called seraphim. They've got six wings, and, and it's quite a description here. And none of us have seen a seraphim yet. But uh, I'm sure we're going to just fall down <laughs> in amazement when we do. Uh, and so he, he learns at least two important things that we saw last week about worship. Both of them came from Isaiah 6. We learned, first of all, that true worship is initiated by God, not by us. You know, God says, okay, I'm going to show you what this is all about. I'm going to initiate you into this when you need to have this awareness. And so worship is about God. It's not about us. That's the first thing Isaiah noticed. Second thing is that true worship is seeing God as He is, and when Isaiah did that, he fell down. You know, just, just you know, like a lot of people, when an angel would come in their way, you know, they just fall prostrate. They just like, oh no, you know, what am I going to do here? This is this is too much, and they just fall on their faces. And Isaiah is immediately struck by God's presence, by God's glory, by God's majesty, and uh, he sees how much greater God is than he is. Um, and as we finished up last week, uh, you were here, we took a little bit of time at the end to kind of reflect on where we are in worship, and so we answered just between us and God some very basic questions here. Why do I come even to worship? And when I do come, am I thinking mostly about God or about myself? Uh, that's a pretty straightforward question, isn't it? Why do you come? And what are you thinking about? And who or what do you really worship then? Who or what? 
do you give your time, your energy, your resources, your thoughts to? That, that's the question. These are really important, legitimate, valid questions for each of us to answer because we might have been a Christian 30 years and we never faced up to this. We never owned up to our worship and maybe some weakness there, maybe uh, this is not where I need to be, not where I want to be. So I kept everyone, uh, asked you to keep reading Isaiah 6 this week. Hopefully uh, you found some time to do that. We're going to read it together right now. But as we do, I want you to do something. I want you to, to look for something. I want you to think of this theme today that worship is personal. And I want you to put yourself in Isaiah's shoes, or sandals we should say. And you get into Isaiah's sandals and you say, what would I have thought? What you know, If I was in his place and I saw what he saw and I heard what I heard, I heard and I was spoken to the way he was spoken to, what would have been my reaction? And I want you to look for a couple little words here that you find over and over in this passage. It's I, me, and my. Every time I read one of those words, just kind of make a mental note of that. I, me, and my. Because this is personal, what happens with Isaiah here in Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. So just follow along. Look for this personal aspect to it. If you were Isaiah... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. (laughs) I imagine they had pretty big voices. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, the altar that is before God's throne. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Wow. What a scene. Did you catch the otomies and the mys there? Did you take it personally if you were Isaiah in that scene? Remember, the God initiated this worship experience for Isaiah. When he saw God as he really is, that's where worship begins. And just as true worship is seeing God as He is, true worship occurs when we see ourselves as we really are. And that's an awesome thing, too. 
to own up to who you are, to own up to where you are. Isaiah saw God's superiority and magnificence, and he responded immediately, Woe is me! I am unclean! I, I am going to die, in other words. And that, to a Jewish way of thinking, that if you saw God, you died. Because nobody ever sees God and lives. That's the Jewish way of thinking. And so if you suddenly see God on his throne, you're thinking, I'm a goner. You know, that's just it. Because that's how I've been taught my whole life. Now, he didn't die because God had other things for him. And so his second thought after he realized he wasn't going to die was that he had no business being there. <laughs> Why am I here? I have no reason to be I'm not worthy to be here. I can't stand in God's presence. I'm too dirty. I'm too unclean. I'm too sinful to stand in front of Almighty God. And so he gets this vivid image of his own brokenness and of his own sin. And he's, he's first overwhelmed by God's presence. Now he's overwhelmed by himself and the fact that he shouldn't even be there. You see, when we see God's holiness, we can't help but see our own sinfulness. When we recognize God's superiority... We can't help but see our inferiority. And when we see God's greatness, we can't help but see our weakness. True worship helps us see ourselves as we really are. And if that's missing, then worship is, is missing something very important there. If you, if you leave yourself out of it and a true picture of who you are, worship is not happening as it should. Are you reminded when you come to worship or when you worship privately that God is greater than you? When we sing about even our songs today talked about the greatness of God and many of them do that. That's how it should be. True worship occurs when we realize that we need God, that we are insufficient without Him, that we are incomplete without Him. Remember Jesus said in the Beatitudes, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will have the, the kingdom of God. Um, he's saying those who recognize their poverty, those who realize the void, the, the absence of goodness and holiness in their own lives, and you come before God with that poorness of spirit, the poverty of spirit, then worship can happen. He also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when he's talking about purity there in the Beatitudes, I don't think he's talking so much about moral purity He's talking about motive. He's talking about how you approach God, the purity of your motives. Having no hypocrisy, no pride in ourselves as we come before God. And if we approach God without hypocrisy or pride, then we will worship Him as we should. So you see God as He is, but you also see yourself as you really are, as you truly are. You know, too often we play games with uh, comparing ourselves with other people, don't we? And we play all these, these funny games. We get really tough on other people. We're judgmental. We're critical. We, we hold them to this high standard. But when it comes to ourselves, we cut ourselves some slack, don't we? Uh, we give ourselves credit that we don't even deserve. We think that we are so much smarter, that we work harder or whatever than other people. And so we quickly are critical of them, but easy on ourselves. And when it comes to worship... Sometimes we're making all these comparisons, and we end up being like that, that Pharisee that Jesus told about. He says he got before God, he prayed, God, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And the guy that really worshipped that day, the guy whose prayers God heard, 
was the publican over here. This, the, this tax collector is a sinner, and he wouldn't raise his eyes to heaven. He knew he didn't have any business being there in front of God, but he came with that poorness of spirit, and he worshipped God, and God received his worship. Pharisee went away empty because of the attitude, because of the impurity of his motives. When we see God as he is, and ourselves as we really are, then true worship can occur. Uh, Jason Lawson, in this regard, asks this. He says, how do you measure the crookedness of an object? You put it next to something straight. <laughs> and when we put ourselves next to God, then we see God as he is, and we see ourselves as we really are. And worship can happen. If we are to truly worship, there must be truth in our worship. There must be honesty. There must be transparency between us and God. And we may fool other people. You know, we can dress all up and we can act all goody-two-shoes when we come to church. But God knows the heart. It's better to come in in humility. It's better to come in in simplicity and sincerity of heart and worship God from that motive, from that place of humility. And then worship can happen in a very real way. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, remember in John 4, 23 and 24, he says, A time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And there he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about from your spirit, from inside of you, you must worship him from who you really are, as you are, right in that moment, good or bad or ugly. You come to God with your true spirit, you come in truth, and that's what God wants from you. The true worshipers are people who do that. Jesus is saying in John chapter 4. And so we must learn to worship God in truth without pretense, without wearing any masks, and seeing ourselves as we truly are. And then there's one more thing I want you to learn from Isaiah's example in Isaiah 6. And that is that true worship results in cleansing and a call to serve God. Now, Isaiah's experience was very personal. It was radical. It changed his life. He got before God and he felt his smallness. He felt his unworthiness. He felt his sin. And he immediately said, what is me? I'm a sinful man and I live among sinful people. Everybody I know is just like me. And the moment of truth came in his life. And in that moment of truth, Isaiah saw God and himself in truth. And then, and then, get that, and then God touched him and changed his life. And that's what he wants to do in yours or mine. As Isaiah admitted his sinfulness, the angel of God came to him and touched his mouth with a live coal from God's altar fire. And that live coal cleansed Isaiah of his sin so that he could continue even standing before God. And God said, your sin, your guilt's taken away, your sin is atoned for. And Isaiah felt this cleansing he had never experienced before. I don't know how he ever felt in his relationship with God except that he never felt completely right. Now he's right. He's got his heart right with God. He's cleansed of all the sin in his life. Then, again, what happened next? When he was cleansed, what happened next? As soon as he was cleansed of his sin, he heard God say something he hadn't heard him say before. The Bible says very simply in verse 8, it says, Then he heard the voice of the Lord. And what did God say? 
God said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? God's looking for somebody in his throne room to go. Somebody to go on the mission. Somebody to share what he has to say to his people. And so he throws out this question, and Isaiah, who is now cleansed, who is now realizing what God has done for him, steps up. He steps up to the place and says, Here am I. You know, send me. You know, I'll go. And a change of life occurs. Isaiah's call was not an easy call. You follow his life, you find out he, he's got to speak a harsh message. In fact, it's given right here. This is what I want you to preach. They're not going to listen to you. Their, their ears are going to be shut off. Their eyes aren't going to be open. Uh, their hearts are not going to be ready. And so you're going to be constantly frustrated by this, and they're going to come after you. It's going to be difficult. They did. And so to successive kings and, and, and really a drastic time, there's this pagan enemy came against them and destroyed everything they knew that was good, everything that they had ever held as, as uh, precious to them, and takes away the people to exile. That's Isaiah's ministry, to announce that that's coming. What, what a fun thing to preach. And eventually we think, according to tradition, not what the Bible says exactly, we think that Manasseh, the wicked son of King Hezekiah, killed him, executed him, martyred him, because he didn't like what he was preaching. That's how his life ended. So this is the call of Isaiah. Thankfully, there's some positive sides to Isaiah's call. We, we'd love to use some of his scripture, some of his prophecy at Christmas time because he talks about the coming Messiah, doesn't he? A child is born to you. Son is given. And his name shall be. And you know, we go through all these things and we go to, to the end of Isaiah and it talks about the suffering servant and we're going to be, you know, he's going to carry our wounds. He's going to heal us. And he's going to... You know, take uh, our transgressions upon himself. These are very positive things of the coming age that Isaiah also gets to announce. But the people of his day didn't hear it. They missed it all. It was for us to hear later. Isaiah's call was real. Isaiah's call was true. And having cleansed him, now God uses him in a mighty, mighty way. Today, we're cleansed. Uh, thankfully, not by a fiery coal. <laughs> you know, the, uh, you know our initiation services. Uh, you come in, you open your mouth, and we drop a live coal into your mouth. It doesn't sound too appealing to many people. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't we? Amen for that. We have the blood of Christ to wash us clean of all unrighteousness, and the the sins that we had were heaped on Him. Isaiah even told us that, so that we could go free and we could be cleansed by Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace, not by our good works, not by our goodness. No one can boast. And we all begin this relationship with God by standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus and receiving the forgiveness of our sins that he freely offers. Then, what then? Then comes the call of God upon our lives. After the cleansing, then the call, just like it was in Isaiah's life. And that's worth How did Isaiah worship God in this experience? He recognized God for who he was and is, and he saw himself as he really was. He confessed his sin, and then he was healed. And then he heard God's voice saying, Who will go for us? And he rose up somehow, and he said, I'm right here, I'll go. And hopefully that's the answer we get. 
We need to follow this same pattern, our worship of holy God. We need to make it personal. And that's the last thing I just kind of want to point out this morning. And just not let you go unless we get this right. That our worship needs to be personal. If it's not personal, it's not worship. You don't do worship as a spectator, do you? You have to be in it. You have to be part of it. We have to make our worship personal, like Joshua did. Remember when Joshua got up in Joshua 24? He's getting near the end of his life. He's been leading the Israelites through all of their battles to take over the promised land and to you know, receive the inheritance given them, promised them by God, and now given. And at the end of it, he says, you've got to make a choice. If God is God, then serve him. But if you still want to serve these other gods, well, then go serve them. But as for me and my house, what are we going to do? We will serve the Lord. And that's the choice each of us has to make. Worship is personal. It's a personal choice. No one can tell you when to make that choice. No one can force you to make that choice. They can't make it for you. And I want to note a a couple things where we get hung up here. And where I, I see, and I've experienced personally, I did it, and I see other people still doing it. True worshipers have discovered three things I wanted to point out. One is, you just can't tag along with someone else. You can't just say, well, I'll ride their coattails. You know, I'll, I'll go with my family. They're all Christians. I'll just be, I'll be part of the family. You can't do that. This is a personal choice. This is a personal decision. You don't say, my parents are believers. You don't say, when you're filling out a form for the government, yeah, well, I'm Christian. You know, my family is Christian. Wait a minute. You've got to decide this. This is personal. True worshipers discovered you can't stand off to the side as an observer. You can't go like you would to a Nats game. You buy a ticket, you go sit in the stands, you're never on the field, you're never really at risk unless they hit you with a foul ball or something, you know. You're not out there getting your knees skinned up and your hands skinned up when you slide into second base. You're not going through all the things that the players are. You're just an observer. And you go home, really, really no, no cost to you except the ticket, you know. It's, just, it's not that you had to personally get involved. Some people approach worship that way, don't they? I'll just go and I'll watch. I'll observe. That's not worship. You've got to make it personal. True worshipers have discovered that you can't hold God at arm's length. You can't say, God, I'll admire you from here. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to get too involved here. I'm not going to let you in all the way. And you know, Some people have brought this out, you know, that you have kind of a, a house. And you bring God into the foyer, maybe on the front porch, maybe under the foyer, or maybe even to the living room. But don't you dare get in the kitchen. Don't you dare get in the, the bedrooms or the bathroom. You know, don't you dare go into the deep part of the house where I really live, where all my junk is. And you keep God out here at arm's length. True worship doesn't do that. This personal worship means you let God all the way in. You throw everything wide open. Some people try to keep God in a box, you know. Uh, bring him out Sunday morning, put him back Sunday afternoon. Bring him back out the next Sunday morning. We dare not play games with Almighty God, or that's not worship. Worship is personal. Worship is individual. Um, and if you are not participating, if you are not part of those worshiping, you haven't worshipped at all. You went to church, but you didn't worship. 
And I hope that that will never be true of any of us again. This is personal. Now we have a missionary friend. Some of you don't yet really know him yet. Maybe you met him once. He's a missionary friend in Pakistan. We began supporting him last January. Some of you have not yet met him. His last name is Dilshad. Uh, Mabub Dilshad is his name. He's a pastor there. Uh, he does a lot of the same thing I do, but so much more. And every time I visit with him, I'm like, how do you do this? How do you keep this schedule going? He's the principal of a Christian school in Lahore, Pakistan, with 270 children. Plus, they have an outreach school that goes out to different satellite places around town that there's another uh, 500 students part of that. So over 700 students he's responsible for uh, their education. They're people that can't go to school because they're too poor or they're orphans or whatever. And uh, meanwhile, he and his wife had opened an orphanage with their own family, with their own kids. They have four kids of their own. Now they've got 42 children that they have daily care for. They have some staff, of course, but he's responsible. He's like the daddy to all those kids. And uh, he pastors a church. He runs a big school. He heads up an orphanage. And I think my life is busy. <laughs> what a life he's living. Dilshad's faith is personal. And I, when I heard his story, I was immediately impressed by that. Years ago, over 20 years ago, about 30 years ago, he trained to be a dentist. And he thought, this could be my ticket out of here because this is a bad place to live. This is a rough place to live here in Pakistan. So he trains as a dentist. He gets a job in South Korea. He moves to South Korea with his young wife. And he, he discovers this is a good life here. It's peaceful. Uh, there's a lot of freedom here. I can make good money here. We can start having a family. And everything's going to be great because this is secure, whereas Pakistan is not. One day he goes to a Christian conference at the largest church in the world. Um, and it, it's a full gospel church in Seoul, Korea. He goes to this conference. And partway through that, about the third day, I think, he has this challenge that God puts to him. He receives a message from God that just says, you need to go back to Pakistan. There are people there that need what you're offering. You can offer them Christ. You can do something. You have a heart for those children that you've seen on the street all your life. You have a heart for those kids that are not getting an education. You have a heart for your people that are living without Christ. And you need to go back. And so he pulled up his roots in South Korea and he and his wife went back to Pakistan 20 years ago and started this whole ministry. It is our privilege to support such a person with our prayers and our money. And so every quarter, $300 is being sent from our missions budget. And recently, just this summer, he came to America to meet with a few of his supporters out west. And he came through here, got to see him one day and found out that his, his laptop had burned up. So I said, well, we'll make sure we would somehow we get taken that. So we got him a new laptop. We're still getting the rest of that paid for. If you want to help contribute towards that, you can. But the point that I want to make is, here's a servant of God doing everything he can. He, he does the best job of any of our missionaries to communicate with us. Let us know what's going on. I don't know how he even keeps all of it going. But it's personal. His worship of Almighty God is personal. He heard a personal call from God to serve him in a specific way. And he accepted that call. And I don't see him backing down any time. He's going to live that out until his last breath here on earth. His worship is true. 
His worship is sincere. His service to Christ is legit. And I have to say, he's the most joy-filled person I have ever met. Do you want to be filled with that same joy? Do you want your life to rise up to a new level that it's never experienced before? Then experience what he's experienced, what Isaiah's experienced. Come before God. See him as he is. See him yourself as you are. And let God call you after he's cleansed you. Let him continuously cleanse your heart, continually call you to serve. Make your worship personal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, your word is adamant, that it is uh, so clear. The examples you give us of people that you have have, uh, worked in their lives for them to grow, for them to understand things, to see things they didn't know, and, and then to receive your cleansing and your call upon their life. We thank you for Isaiah. We thank you for the example that that is set for us, each of us, that, that we would worship you in that way. If we have played these games of comparison with other people, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. If we have come to worship as a spectator, forgive us. If we've come any time in our prayers or our reading your word or uh, whatever, and, and we've tried to keep you at arm's length, Lord, forgive us. Because this is personal. This, this requires a personal choice. Impress that upon us today, Lord. Help us to realize that our worship before you must be real. It must be in truth, must be in spirit. We must realize our own poverty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.